Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. For this episode, my college friend KK Ray from Tennessee Neurofeedback is back on with us. And if you haven't heard her before, you'll know why we keep having her back on after this episode. She's a marriage and family therapist in the Nashville area, and she has wisdom and insight into everything from addiction to mental illness and ways to deal with your issues. You'll get to meet her right after this. Hi, friends. I like to tell you during my podcast about you know, healthy things. I talk a lot about fasting and health, and that's why Ralston Family Farms is a perfect partner for me as a health coach and as someone who does intermittent fasting. Ralston Family Farms provides products that are non-GMO, that they employ regenerative farming, and it's also delicious products. Things like their different varieties of rice. They have six different varieties. They now have rice grits. And so these are people I know personally. I know the Ralstons. And you know what about them and the family? Community is so important to them. In fact, Robin says it's fundamental. It can range from immediate family and extend to where one lives, works, plays, worships. But maintaining a healthy community requires stewardship and love and respect. Those are the things the Ralston family employs in everything they do. Follow them on social media, RalstonFamilyFarms.com. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, we've got a lot of catching up to do with you, Miss KK of Tennessee and the world. Uh, of course, Arkansan by birth, so we have a long-term connection here. But kind of the theme of the last few years, we've had you on my podcast several times. In fact, when the um, Lisa Fisher said Enterprises meeting was a couple weeks ago, who do we need? KK! Because you, uh-uh. you, you can bring wisdom to us and you can set us all straight. But the thing we were navigating for the last few years, I hope is in the rearview mirror, and it's COVID. Do you feel like now we can start our lives? We, 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 we're on pause and now we started our lives again and now we can get about them and not have to talk about COVID. I think so. I think if we learn anything, let's talk about COVID kindly, you know, because we all have different views and we, um, and yeah, but I think to answer that question, I think there's huge ramifications of coming out of something like that. So we don't, um, we don't, it is over, I think, as far as us getting, well, over is probably the wrong word, but I'm hoping it's in our rearview mirror. It feels like it. And just even the thought of going back to that is so oppressive feeling to me. And, you know, um, I was very cautious, but the thought of having to go back to the restrictions that we had feels overwhelming. But there's a little bit of a bind there because what I'm seeing now is, is, you know, getting thrust back into regular day-to-day life is not as comfortable as it was um, beforehand. So if you find yourself like getting to the door of the church and being like, I can't go in with that big a crowd. It feels overwhelming to me, or I'm not comfortable just going into a restaurant where I don't know anybody or to a party where I do know everybody. So it's PTSD. It is. And it's a, it's a collective PTSD 
um, that that we all have. I don't know how far I would go with that, but but yes, we have to reintegrate no matter what. Yeah, and, and people people have a lot of baggage that comes with that, so they're having to to navigate that too. So yeah, I'm, I say let's talk about other stuff yeah, because I'm, with I'm ready you. for that to be behind too. So I'm, with you. I'm thrilled that we can talk about other stuff now. And in your line of work, I know you all are, your training as therapist is grief. It's a loss. It's divorce. It's remarriage. It's stepchildren. But never once was it a pandemic, I bet. Mm-mm. No one had no. the training. No one was equipped. No, no. The closest thing we've had are are like natural disasters that happen to groups of people. You know, like, for instance, we know that um, after 9-11, the incident of PTSD is much lower than it was after Hurricane Katrina. Well, the answer, the why we think is because people scattered in Katrina and 9-11 people came Uh, together. So the the leftover... um, you know, isolation, which is, you know, what we've all been through, uh, is we're finding the lack of human connection and the human uh, ability to help others, those kind of things we have not been able, uh, well, we can't quantify yet, we don't know, but we definitely know that Katrina was much worse for residual trauma than, say, 9-11, and that's not to say that 9-11 didn't have huge impact, but, but Definitely the incident of PTSD is much lower. And and the media now, um, things can trigger, too, that we didn't have. So let's say 20 to 21 years ago with 9-11, that's the first time we ever had TV screens with there'd be a news crawl underneath. And we started really getting a 24-7 news cycle, which now, on retrospect, can't we all say that's not healthy? Having news yeah. blurted at me all the time is not best for my personal headspace. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I can even tell when I get on social media, which I've really pared that way down, not to be self-righteous, but it just didn't feel good to me. I'd get off and and the feeling I would have um, didn't feel good. But yeah, uh, the the draw of of masses amounts of massive amounts of information is not good there's nothing that could be good about it total input it's screens right there's just nothing good good about it we were not wired to consume anything all the time food drink uh, anything that can be a a vice it it just we were not wired to do that no no and it feels good to get away from it a little bit and take a deep breath you know and 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 look at life much broader than what what it is being fed to us, as you would say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing we've talked about, and we talked about with uh, your your team there, we talked about addiction one time. It was really good. But what I'm seeing now, KK, is um, there are these women um, who have social media sites, and I, I guess I see them because of the algorithm they're shown to me. But it's this whole sobriety thing now is like a trend. Are you seeing some of that? To to being so oh that it's that it's politically correct. Yeah, or okay like to say. yeah, yeah. That we're now pushing towards sobriety, and I think it's a good message of telling women you don't have to have wine o'clock every day. Well, that's a great point, and I think one of the things that we've 
we've seen um, over the last three years, I think I heard the statistic that sales of Sauvignon Blanc have doubled or tripled. You may have given me that No, but I, I know but, that alcohol sales have <clears throat> skyrocketed. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's a habit that we, we numb, but don't we all numb somehow? You know, so right. we do have to look at that. Um yeah, so so yes, addiction is on the rise. That was one of the things I faced this morning was hearing of a kid in our community that has had possibly a fentanyl overdose and has died. And it's one of those things that um we, you know, used to we would say, and I don't this is probably not a tangent to go after, but we used to say, let somebody hit rock bottom you know, yeah. and, and find their way out of that. We don't have that luxury, especially with kids anymore, because rock bottom is death. Rock bottom is one. Yeah. One, one step off. It, yeah. It is one uh-huh. step off uh-huh. the ledge. That's right. And there, there's no, Mm-mm. there's no coming back from that. So we really have to, um, we have to interrupt it and, and understand it and, and get help as quickly as we can when we're headed down that, that path. For sure. So, well, in that light, then KK, are are we educating our kids that it's not even safe to take one pill from someone you don't know? Because is that is that black market oxy or something they're getting, and actually is laced with fentanyl? Is that the laced? S- <clears throat> that's that's the thought, and also um, I think uh, just illegal marijuana that has not been regulated so also can, can be laced have, with fentanyl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's the ones I hear about the most or the accidental, um, bad pot, bad weed that they've wow. laced. Mm-hmm. So that, and it's just, mm. it's just so addictive too. And, and, and the other, the other thing that we see, uh, a lot, and it's a soapbox. I've, I know I've spoken about on your, on your podcast before, but, but a gateway to a lot of this is stimulants that we're putting kids on at a very early age under the 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 guise of it being an ADD type type, and that is in quotes type diagnosis. And kids don't like kids are anxious, and when we put them on stimulants, it makes them more anxious. So um, the minute they get a good taste of what calming the neurological system down, like whether it's with alcohol or weed or whatever then they're like wow this feels good i'm not anxious and then that's the gateway to getting whatever other drugs you know heroin to fentanyl or whatever then what's what's the best way to mitigate the diagnosing or to mitigate kids who might have add tendencies in early formative years what's your thought on that i I really have no idea well, I mean, I probably said, I remember laughing or making fun of parents that said, I'm so glad I'm not raising kids in this age and stage. And, and I truly am. I know you probably are too. All the time. Faced, All the time. Faced with it. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't even dare to try to pontificate on, on the answers, except for the fact that throwing a pill at anything tends to not be anything except covering up a you know, covering up a symptom. Um, and so we look at causes and, and where our profession is going is more brain-based. And as you know, Lisa, with your, your work, mm-hmm. it's all gut brain-based. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so, 
So, you know, a kid that's acting a fool that we say is ADD, who's just had frosted Cheerios and a Coke for breakfast or a Pop-Tart. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, how are we going to ever mm. expect that they would have the right nutrition or energy? And then the other thing I would say, so I would say diet, exercise, huge interventions and our proactive um, interventions. The other thing we want to look at is what's going on in the family system, because many times who you're identifying as a patient is the wrong patient. <gasps> you know, it's it's very easy That's to good. identify mm-hmm. a kid mm-hmm. as the problem. And and I know in my practice and in our clinic at Tennessee Door Feedback, you know, the kids are who are hauled in to get to get fixed, and the kids that don't get better are the kids that are actually acting appropriately in their family system. That is so and telling. It is telling. I had a <laughs> I had a professor in um in graduate school that said if you want to know what's going on in a family system, go to little league uh softball, football <laughs> or basketball games. And I had su- rather unsuccessfully been a parent for a few years and little league based basketball or something. And I can just remember sitting by myself and wanting to coach from the, you know, and (laughs) and when I, when I heard that, it's like, wow, you really can tell. And so, so another intervention besides diet and exercise that I would say is in the family system, regardless if it's single parent or um, a marriage, you elevate that to the adults in the family, whatever the issue is, let's elevate it to the adults in the family system and see what kind of relief we can get um, with the kids. And I just had a case this week where the parent reported because they've worked really hard on their marriage that all of a sudden they've noticed their kids aren't anxious anymore. And that's, you know, the kids are acting appropriately for the energy in the home. And, you know, used to, we, we thought energy fields and all that stuff was, um, was, um, I'm sorry. I just, I think I just hit Siri. I hope I didn't blast y'all's ears. Anyway, um, the we used to think that energy fields was new age bunk or whatever and what we know is we are electrical beings and we give off fields of energy and just like we can feel each other's energy now lisa and it's good somebody can walk in the room with bad energy and suck all the oxygen out and so you're thinking about that and a kid um as I was preparing for this podcast I was thinking I was talking to my daughter Kelsey and we were talking about developmentally a kid doesn't even start beginning to think there's other perspectives, but their own and their parents between seven and 12 years old. And so they're sitting there feeling all of these energy fields of fighting or whatever disruptive uh, stuff going on in a family system. There's no way for them to assume that's anything except their fault. And so they're going up, their anxiety is going through the roof. So those are my, those are my nuggets of, whatever it's worth, nothing, but if no, we could look at nothing besides diet, exercise, and how the adults are working in the family system, we could probably knock out a lot of, of pain. That no, Those know. are jewels. They're not just nuggets, they're jewels. So that gives you the opportunity then when, you know, little Bobby comes in that you look at the parents and go, I mean, do you have to ask the hard questions, KK, of going, now what's going on at home? Yeah, uh, for sure. And they're not hard questions when you're in a therapeutic setting. Of course, I wouldn't call you and go, what are you and Chris doing acting a fool like this? Mm -hmm. You know, but if somebody's in my office, I would definitely say, 
yeah, let's elevate this to the, to the parent system right now before we ever go any further and see what we can do. And, you know, shame is usually the, the biggest uh, blocker and reason for denial. So we have to really, as a therapist or as a, as a coach or as, as somebody in a position of power, when somebody comes to you, you know, you definitely want to mitigate any kind of shame. And the only way to do that is understand that you're no better than the person you're sitting across from that you you've created issues in your own family system, work through them, and then you can, you know, figure out what, um, how to help the people, but we've got to break down the barriers of shame for them to even admit that there's issues. So is there shame then with the adults or with the child? Oh, well, for sure. With the adults, Okay, for sure. You know, um, and of course the shame for a kid would come, and, and you can weigh into this too, Lisa, but for a kid, the shame is that I don't want to anybody to believe that my family's not a safe, great place, mm-hmm. you know, mm. that, that I'll take as a child, I'll take responsibility for anything for it not to be my parents' fault, you yeah. know? Yeah. And that goes on the umbrella of mental illness, addiction, uh, infidelity yeah i mean anything any anything that's going any on at home that that's right you, that's right you do and you you try to you're the person that comes out of the house saying everything's fine i mean yeah because this is one thing i know is you think it's normal 100 percent. i mean i i you know i can laugh about the first few months I lived in the Kaimega house and my mind was blown <laughs> on a regular basis because I didn't know that I mean silly stuff like you could buy makeup other places besides Kmart I didn't know that <laughs> <laughs> and you know but but even other things like parental support or not or family systems that yeah were were functional or not yeah. and um yeah. and yes um we we really don't until our brain is almost fully developed begin to believe that what we are in is not normal. Now some people have a, the benefit at younger ages of what we call compassionate bystanders or compassionate witnesses or stuff that can point you towards health where you begin to see, oh, there is a difference than and and it's it's a comforting pull as opposed to a shameful pull that that you can't you go into denial with. That, does that make sense? Yes, it does. I, I'm just going back to shame too. How shame is almost the clothing we wear. Once we're in a shame cycle, we it. How do you crawl out of that? That is so hard. It's so hard. But what you find is once that you can overcome it a little bit, then the freedom on the other side is just you know. Who gives a shit anymore, especially at our age? Right. No, you know, totally. You know, vulnerability and truth and lack of uh, what Richard Rohr would call ego, um, or Brene Brown would say that too. If you can get to the place where you can you can let go of your ego enough, and, and, and I would call that the, the shadow self or the fake self, when we can get to the point and probably, you know, if, if I were being honest, I would say, put this video up and everybody in Arkansas can see my 60 year old, mm-hmm. no makeup mm-hmm. face. Right. That would be somebody that was egoless. Yep. And, and, um, 
so I'll attempt that, Darren. You can decide. But <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a, an important thing to begin to have enough infrastructure within yourself to say this is my story. These are the places that I've been wounded. These are the places I'm trying to heal. This is real life, and I don't really have to hide behind something that. I'm the only one I hide behind it anyway. I mean, the truth is, if you know somebody, you can see through all that, right? Yeah. And so the shame, yes. the shame yes. is, is our own protection and really doesn't make us invisible to anybody else. Well, the truth will set us free. There is so much exactly. freedom in truth that we're afraid of our own shadow when we're growing up and we're seeing things. And when you, that's the one thing college does. Cause this is that time of year. Kids are going to college. College exposes things that are college is a great learning tool or, or any environment where you're plucked out of your nuclear family and you're put in with people mm-hmm. who are all different, whether they look different, smell different, come from different cultures. And then you do start navigating it, but you also, my kids have told me, they go, college helped me realize y'all weren't as crazy as I thought you were. Because <laughs> yeah, they would yeah. say, we went to college with people who had parents who were ra- in, you know, enraged people, alcoholic. She, you know, my kids would say, y'all just talked at loud volumes and were passionate. And I'd go, see, it uh. all works out. But my point in that is it, there, there's something about growing up that, that college does provide benefits of going to your sorority house realizing you mean you can get makeup other than Kmart (laughs) or mine was I went to college and for sure noticed you know people with traditional families and I'd been adopted that time by my cousin so I, I had more of a nuclear family but I also noticed um that at the sorority house, this is a crazy thing I remember of coming back from like holiday break. And I remember Gina Kirkpatrick opening the door going, hey, how was your weekend? And I looked around and going, are you talking to me? Like no one had ever asked me how my weekend was. You know, no one ever cared about if I had a good experience someplace. But it taught me that, you know what, when you invest in people like that, I felt like she was invested in my life. I feel an eternal debt to now Gina Tappan because she asked me, hey, how was your weekend? And and she and she also taught you to turn around and care about somebody else's weekend. That's right. Because yes, absolutely. There there's there's so many skills. Well, the funniest one for me is I learned to not divorce the salt and pepper. (laughs) And my kids I still tell that to my kids. (laughs) And and honestly, (laughs) I think I think that has so many layers because it's like I never even knew what that meant. You know, I had to go learn it and couldn't ask anybody. But but truly, you, you do learn that. You grow up. You learn you to do. grow up. You do. Yes. Okay. And so KK and I lived in a, a traditional <laughs> Southern shorty and we had like, you know, family dinner on Monday nights. And when someone would ask you, can you grab me the salt? You would always turn and grab the salt and pepper together because you never divorced the salt and pepper. Those were some of the things I remember being taught. And I, my yes. kids still say it because I'll, I would say. And mm-hmm. I'd make them put their napkin in their lap because at the Chi Omega house, we put our napkin in our laps. Well, and what's telling for you and I both is that was not a skill we had. No, right? right no, right. For sure. And it's no indictment. No. It's just that we all get to and 
yeah, that that's the whole premise I've been working on. And as I'm thinking about maybe writing a book sometime is where, how do we arrive at adult, adulthood with all of these gaps in our, you know. Right. But I also maturity. think co- the other thing college teaches us, but I'm not learning the lesson till now that I'm almost 60, is that we we didn't know it but what we saw were now warning signs for mental illness and now i'm so much more in tune to that but i remember going we came back and it was the girl that was in your pledge class i'd go well she just painted her room blue but it was pink two days ago and well she was bipolar but we didn't know you know what i mean or she was up she was up for two days rearranging her whole room and i thought what an admirable quality because i am a superpower superpower superpower. i do like a lot of energy but now we know oh and also i can now see those kids that i knew now that i understand addiction those the people that mm-hmm. were partying mm-hmm. all the time. It wasn't just a fun party person. Mm-hmm. It's someone mm-hmm. who had maybe a biologic connection or a family connection to addiction and alcoholism. Mm-hmm. So it or, that's what yes. college can teach you, too, about people. Yes. And and along that line of alcoholism and stuff, we, we always just said people partied hard in college. But the minute you graduate, they're binge alcoholics or, you right. know have you get that reprieve for four years but you get a well-honed addiction over those four years oh it's it's a muscle that they have you know Mm -hmm. polished by working on it Mm -hmm. you're right and i wish i do wish colleges and sorority houses or people where they were you're close to other people i wish there were some mental health advocates that were in there going you know what this feeling you have or I remember the girl who couldn't get out of bed and I was thinking, why can't she get out of bed? Not knowing she biologically, she had depression and no one was treating it. Right. And that was the eighties. That was before SSRIs and all that, which we can definitely discuss in just a second. But it, um, I think if there's one thing uh, growing, you know, being a grown ass adult, as you call it, (laughs) um, teaches us is we do have an obligation to understand our community not to judge in any way but maybe you can be the voice that tells somebody you know what i think what you're battling is bipolar disorder or that Mm -hmm. not that even it's your job to diagnose them i think you're battling something with your mental health and maybe if you go see a provider because you know what people say after being diagnosed diagnosed and you know this especially with bipolar is Thank you. I feel so much better because though the mania uh, yeah. looks exciting because you do paint the house pink and then blue and you have all this energy, mm-hmm. they're not sleeping and they're miserable. Mm-hmm. And then they. Well, yeah. Drop. And not only are they miserable, the whole family system. Right. I mean, it's one of the biggest uh, places of carnage in family systems is when there's un- undiagnosed mental illness. We know that now. And yes, in the 80s, we didn't. It was the blind leading the blind on it. But what occurs to me there is the environment has to be safe enough and non-judgment enough, you know, because the easy thing is to begin to be superior and know more. And I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. So we have to make sure that there's safety around that level of uh, insight and connection. But the person who's battling it always feels like they're, being targeted right there's no way to gingerly approach somebody gently approach and say because in a relationship 
that constant drinking, the other someone's nagging about it, going, "Well, you sure mm-hmm. drink a lot." And then we mm-hmm. realize, "Oh crap, this isn't just social drinking. This is a problem." So the person who's done all the drinking thinks, "You've been bitching to me about this for so many years. Mm-hmm. Back off." Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's hard to have objectivity in your family to then go to them and go, I think I know it's wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. And no addict wants to be told they're an addict. Again, that shame cycle is so big. They already know they've got a problem for the they, most part. They do. It's just typically. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody likes to um, wake up day after day hungover. They just don't know a way out. Um, and, they're, and the brain's telling them to keep doing it. So they're battling against themselves, too. So if someone's listening right now, and that applies to that person, what, what's the first step? It, we're not talking about an intervention on A&E and where there are cameras in your home, but what does the person who's battling the addiction, what's the first thing that person should do? That's a great question. I, um, you know, I, I don't really... I I love 12 step programs. I love therapy. I love any, I think, I think the first step is to do something different than what you're doing. All right. You know, I think, I think probably the second step is to find somebody that feels safe enough to tell that you can tell your story to tell the truth to, um, and then get some, whatever kind of help you can get. You know, we don't have great help in this country. We just don't have a good, um, that that need hopefully will change over time, but our mental health infrastructure is not good. Now in Nashville, we're known as one of the biggest recovery, best recovery communities in the country. So there are plenty of things you can avail yourself to. The problem is, do you have insurance? Do you have you know I time? Know. Do you have this the support outside that? It's 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 a it's a daunting. Um, it's a daunting thing to have to overcome. But I think the first step, what do you do to answer that question is to find one person if you can. If not, there's crisis hotlines. There's something to do where you make a human connection. We have to have a, And we don't expect that the brain will recognize the human connection as anything but maybe 50% of the high you get from whatever drug or, or behavior you're doing is an addiction. Um, because your dopamine receptors have come to the point where they only receive feel good from whatever that right. that repetitive behavior is. Are do our dopamine receptors get numb? Because you know the cocaine thing of or whatever, you, you, or I think yeah, uh, I think more I math think and it, stuff. They say you have to have more and more and more to get it. But can right. it can it recover too? Absolutely, they'll okay. recover. Um, yeah, they recover. And and I think the thing there to you know, I'm not a neurologist and, and don't know all the, the ins and outs exactly, but the way I like to just dumb it down to is our, our neuroreceptors become well honed at receiving whatever can be the highest bang for their buck. So then they'll quit receiving from other things. So when you have a kid that won't get off the couch, that only plays video games, that is not because he's defiant or lazy or anything. It's because his dopamine receptors and other neuroreceptors are saying, this is the only place you're going to feel good is if you do this behavior. And so, so over time, it, that is true. I mean, I've had 17-year-old kids in my office when their parents say the video games are going away. They they go through withdrawals just like crack cocaine, you know. So it's it's 
It's a big deal. And, and, and if we can look at it from a brain-based neurological perspective, then the character stuff goes out the door and, and, it, and the shame can go down then, you know. So then you begin to work on a brain-based um, recovery as opposed to just shame and re, re, uh, triggering shame, mm-hmm, trigger, mm-hmm. relapse mm-hmm. kind of cycle. Pattern. If you can yep. get out of that bad, bad yeah, pattern. pattern. So, yeah. um, neurotransmitters we know are kind of the, we have hormones and then we have neurotransmitters. So neurotransmitters are the ones we talk about when we talk about depression, anxiety, um, highs and lows, dopamine, serotonin, uh, norepinephrine, right? Those are, yes. But now this summer, um, that research came out that said, <clears throat> and I, I'd like to know what you think about that. We didn't have a serotonin deficiency. Mm-hmm. It came out uh, probably in July. We had two groups of scientific evidence that were debunked. One was we didn't really have a serotonin deficiency and Alzheimer's research was fabricated. So that means for 19 years, Nanny was taking a medicine that was making everybody at the uh, big farmer rich, but wasn't mm-hmm. helping Nanny. So mm-hmm. those are two things to me because of the way I look at health and wellness, because like you do in therapy, I want to know the root cause. And so <laughs> the root cause was Nanny's been lied to. And the other root cause was Maybe it wasn't the serotonin. So what's your feeling on that? Because I know you don't prescribe anything as a psychotherapist, but you work with people yeah. who do. Yeah. And I, and I, I think I, I, the answer is I really don't know, Lisa. What I know also is that not only, you know, do we have neurochemicals, do we have our gut in play? We also are electrical, have electrical stuff going on in our brain. It's, it's so complex. And to think that, well, I'm a case studying it. I thought I was going to die on an antidepressant. Took it for 25 years or something and got my brain and gut regulated. And I felt better off the medicine than I did on the medicine. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And there's no, there's no shame in it. I mean, it's what we had at the time, but, but the truth is we don't have longitudinal studies that say how it, it, those those drugs will affect us over a lifespan. We don't have studies of how those drugs affect when you take other medications. Um, so I'm a big proponent on on unless it's something that's so acute that we have to have pharmacological intervention for a time. Let's go for cause because any of those medicines there there aren't any of them that are are changing the brain or changing the gut they're masking things and i get you know if you're listening to this try not to go to shame because it's it's what you have that you're dealing with and and nobody can walk in your shoes and it's and it can be a very acute situation that you ha- don't have a lot of options or time but You've got to ask yourself, what are we eating? How are we exercising? How are we sleeping? That's one thing we hadn't talked about. You know, I'm a firm believer that kids need 10 hours of sleep minimum. I mean, I think even college kids probably need more than that. And younger kids need lots more, too. If if we could just get kids sleeping and eating right, a lot of this stuff would go away. I absolutely agree. I would say I even go a step further when I, with my health coaching clients. What I tell them is, 
nothing we're going to do in my health coaching relationship with them will cost them money unless they choose to buy a supplement. You know, some people, I do think mm-hmm. magnesium is really important um, for your health, uh, for your uh, brain, uh, just a lot of things. So I do think magnesium, but that that's not going to cost you much. But I, I always say the things that I think are really important are sunlight because yes. your sleep is based on what you did this morning. Your sleep tonight is whether or not your eyes saw sunlight this morning as it was rising to trigger your pineal gland to make melatonin later. So if you're going, I am having the hardest time sleeping. Of course, you've got all the blue lights on. You've been watching Netflix till 1030. Uh, You watch the news, which I say, quit watching the news, you know, because Mm -hmm. your mental health is part of all this and which affects your physical health. So that's one thing is sunlight. And then the other thing, and so then the sunlight, as the sun sets, it has different infrared wavelengths that then tell you it's time to go night-night. I mean, mm-hmm. God designed all this, people. And he, you know, <laughs> there's no better creator. Find me a creator. I'll sit here and wait. Find me a better creator. So he's, he knew what he was doing by giving us sunlight with the infrared, sunset with the infrared, and to start triggering our bodies to go, okay, now it's time to go to bed and then sleep. So my two goalposts of my health, my, my football field is intermittent fasting, but my goalposts are sleep and sunlight. Mm, Thank you for good. coming to my TED Talk. That's <laughs> you know it. I mean? That's, that's it. good. Yeah, no, it's it's huge. And then if you can put some whole food nutrition in there with it. Then those, and, those are the stripes on the field. Then we start yeah. tweaking the things that um, help you navigate good health because the thing is about that serotonin study was there were still some people who said but it helped me and then great Mm -hmm. but it Mm -hmm. it did so there's also shame kk and people who take an antidepressant who are still depressed there's shame in that and those people were saying i've been telling y'all for 19 years that the ssri is class of drugs that and some are atypical antidepressants like wellbutrin is an atypical antidepressant so some people are going, my friend said to me the other day, she'll so I have to give up my Wellbutrin. I go, is it working? She said, I feel great. I said, well, it's not even in the SSRI. And that's it. You do you. I mean, it's definitely the way I feel on things. But it does explain to the people who it wasn't working, who can say, all right, I, you know, what people want. You told me this 25 years ago when I was diagnosed with depression. depression. You said these words. I've never forgotten it. And it almost makes me cry. People oh. want hope. Yeah, yeah. And when if, I, if, when someone told me finally, and mine was probably for my thyroid, but I had depression and they put me on Wellbutrin. And I told you, I called you that day and said, he said, I'm depressed. And it, it made me cry when he said it because he listened to me. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he said these words, you're going to get better. Mm-hmm. And that right there, it's almost a placebo effect. Well, in, in, in mental health, placebo is not a bad thing. I, I agree. Mean, what, whatever's going to make us feel better and I get agree. better, I'm all about. And yeah, and you know, I, I don't know the answer on all that. I, I honestly have just read the headlines of the study, but I do feel like if we could change our mindset to letting, doing the things that we know, that we know, going and moving your body, walking, is better. The studies show it's better than any antidepressant. But tell a depressed person to go out and walk thirty minutes is like telling them to go carry, 
you know, 500 pound weight around their neck for three days. It's just, it's, it's, it's a really bad cycle, but human connection, human understanding, giving other people hope, kindness, those kind of things, Lisa, like you're saying, are invaluable. Well, another thing, I, I should write a book on things KK's taught me. Uh-huh. Right. Another thing, there we go. <laughs> another thing you taught me once was, and we've never even discussed this on this podcast, but you had a stillbirth in 1990. Mm. Is that correct? 1990? Mm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you, so I didn't know what depression was at that time. And you told me um, a couple of months after you lost the baby, you said, even and see, this is going to make me cry too, but I've never forgotten it. You said even unloading the dishwasher was a huge task mm-hmm. and you didn't know if you mm-hmm. could do it. And that's what mm-hmm. now when I am able to talk to people, I say our normal everyday activities like climbing Mount Everest. You said you would think, okay, now today's Thursday. I'm going to unload the dishwasher. Don't ask me to do it again on Friday because I don't know if I have mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. that's because mm-hmm. people want to know, am I depressed and Mm-hmm. It, I know you have therapeutic questions you ask. I just, I remember my KK-isms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you remember telling yeah. me that, that uh, yeah. about unloading and, the dishwasher? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And that was true. It was also true after we had um, Ryan um, that I thought if I, lo- if, if I could fold a lo- load of laundry in a day with him laying there as an infant, it was a great day. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was. So right. en- it was. The, yeah. The energy that it takes to yeah. do things. And that's, that's like swimming through mud. And I, I think that I use the term, what I say now is when you stump your toe and it feels like you've shattered your femur then you've got something else going on. Oh, wait, you know, say that again. Say that again. If you stub your toe, but you feel like you shattered, feel, your, shattered your femur. And and I, I use that too on reactiv- reactivity. Like if you, you know, if somebody hurts your feelings and you, you go look back and you go, wow, that reaction was way out of normal range. You've been triggered. You know, <gasps> there, there's more to yeah. it there. So. Then, then how do we navigate that? Well, that's where we got to start healing, you know, when it, it is our responsibility when we are out of our reactivity or behaviors are out of normal range. It is our responsibility to, to Ooh, begin yeah. to heal and bring those into normal range. I'm writing all that. I'm writing that one down because that's good because <laughs> it does go back to, okay, now, I don't want to be codependent on my kids and husband, but sometimes when it's not my, I quit my husband because he's got all figured out, but my kids sometimes <laughs> when they're suffering, I still want to go fix it for them. And I know I have to back off. And my gosh, that's hard because people, this is it, have to take their own responsibility. Yeah, but I'm, you're not going to get a whole lot of pushback on me on that. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know it's hard. <laughs> I do. I'm one of those velcro parents i'm not even a helicopter parent but you know i think it's um there's there's a camp that i've heard they use the terminology when your kids are little you're policemen as parents then you go to coach and then you go to consultant and so it's very very difficult with adult children to get out you know to not drop back to being a coach or a policeman you truly have to be asked as a as a consultant to step in and, 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 you know, step in and, and stand down as much as possible. But it's hard. I think the other the flip side of that, though, is, you know, with 
kids with adult children, many times you see parents check out and kids need guidance in their 20s and 30s, just like they do. And, you know, I mean, I know how smart I thought I was at 25. I (laughs) had it figured out. Right. And and I still do think I haven't figured out. But that um, but but that. You know, don't take your foot off the gas with your kids. You still want to be available at any moment if they want to avail themselves. Hopefully they will. But it's hard knowing. My daughter told me once, she goes, Mom, sometimes I come to you to vent. I don't want you to solve it. I go, but I've got great ideas. She goes, I know, but I didn't ask for them. And I just went, Uh oh, Uh I mean, I have to hear that, though, because enthusiastic people I am and, I, I, and I've told my kids people come to me for this advice she goes but I'm not coming to yeah. court I'm just telling you this is my situation yeah, yeah. we we aren't nearly as cool to our kids as no. we would think so Duh, but I, I know I know and and then I think <laughs> there have been many times where I've been like can I just give you some money you know that's my way yeah. to fix it yeah. if I just give you a little money and and you know our kids now are at the point where they don't need my money. And so I have no way of filling the tank for them. But no, yeah, but showing up. I can still circumvent that too, because <laughs> I can have a housekeeper show up for your birthday gift. Or, exactly. You know, exactly. Or a great vacation. Y'all could go on. We can go on. If right. you want to go with us. If you want to go with us, right? That's, <laughs> yeah. I've already planned my summer. I want to come to Dollywood. <laughs> I'm loading up, but we're going to Dollywood. <laughs> The key is to not give up parenting. You just got to get really astute at figuring out what your kids need on that. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because one of yours is married. Kelsey's not married. That's right. right. So that's right. The one in a marriage, um, they have their family unit, unit, right? And so that's really where I have to really get my hands off because she doesn't belong to me. You know, yeah, yeah, and and you don't. It's none of my business. It's yeah, it's not my business. Yes, and and we can get by a little bit more with our own kids acting a fool, but that's right. You know, and in laws don't get that much luxury, Mm -hmm. so you really have to watch. Yeah, anything. Yes, not my business. I will say it. It's a gift when you have one that that is willing to be around you and stuff. It's wonderful, and we have that's right. We have a beautiful um, daughter in law who puts up with us so. i know yeah well <laughs> my my son-in-law i think likes coming over here because there's always free food <laughs> there you, <laughs> you go know. so yeah, all right exactly. I'll, I'll come i'll come but yeah, yeah you're right yeah. and then when they start having kids you really have to zip mm-hmm. it in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my husband mm-hmm. will say lisa don't uh, 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 uh. don't mow their yard i say don't mow their yard yeah. stay in your own yard it's so hard it's so hard hard. um okay let's go back to something that we really i mean we were talking about i said my goal post or you know the sleep and the sunlight but um in my my football field if we're looking at you know analogies here my football field is intermittent fasting but it's also about mitigating gut health and i you know hippocrates said all disease begins in the gut so that was Mm -hmm. you know five thousand years ago he also said let food be thy medicine thy medicine be food so i do think even you know, it's a shame. It's a shame. And this is no fault of anybody. Your bro- you have a physician brother and, you know, it, it was no fault of his that his Western uh, medical school didn't teach him nutrition. Mm-hmm. He, he mm-hmm. went to figure out he, he's really good at pharmacology, probably in chemistry and some other things, you know, which is great. But there's also um, 
a need for the medical community, even therapists. I love that you love the gut-brain connection because I don't know if everybody's there yet. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to keep talking about it because there's nothing more important. I mean, if you want to say, let's find out what is conclusive, the research is there's much more conclusive than an antidepressant that if you eat, wow, you know, <laughs> non-inflammatory foods and uh, yeah I, I mean i can't i can't preach it enough there has got to be a movement towards getting uh affordable whole food to our population where people can can eat healthy right well yes um because i have this conversation a lot when i i encourage people the type of eating that works for me um but because my thing is, well, once you quit buying sodas and any packaged foods at all, you just won the lottery. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, so big pharma has an influence on you, but big food also has an influence on you because big food just told you that the hundred calorie pack of Oreos, um, here it is, and it's easy for you. Whereas I want you to get the avocado, right? And it's really right. cheaper to get the avocado per point or dollar or whatever you're measuring things per and we don't talk calories because we know that that was fallible you know um but it's understanding that you have control of eating or shopping on the outer perimeter of that grocery store and making magical things remember the creator i told you about who made sunlight th these infrared rays and sunset is these infrared rays he's an incredible gardener and he has grown beautiful things. He has put animals for us to eat. The Bible says, you know, to clothe, or to, to feed us and to keep us warm or what animal products do for us. And then how those things work on behalf of our gut health is quite impressive. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. packaged foods. I mean, kids, how are we just had, we have these here in the summer cereal drives for kids that's the last thing your kid needs in the morning is cereal mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then yeah. the question is what can i afford eggs mm -hmm. eggs and sausage or bacon are cheap they're delicious they're satisfying your insulin comes up brings down your glucose and then you're satisfied for about four or five hours yeah and it's an education gap too that we have to overcome right because who knows that if you don't tell them that's right you know well, because the government has a different agenda did you see the tufts university study that came out this summer on the healthy things i'll i'll, mm -hmm. I'll have darren post it because i've talked about it with a couple of my guests let me put that darren post um and i forget what they call it but it was tufts university and it was the white house and it's not blaming any white house it's any white house in at the moment so it's this um what's going i mean but again in four years if we have a different president that white house will find other people because again big money big pharma and uh big food or big influencers in what we do and it showed the things that are healthy and the first thing that was on the list that was green so you either green yellow or red you know stop so green light mm -hmm. the green light was watermelon which it's true watermelon's great but it's really high in fructose which brings your glucose up which brings your insulin up and disease is fed by glucose mm -hmm. and high insulin we know that that's science and then at the bottom all the red things are the things i eat it was hamburger patty it was 
cheddar cheese. It was milk. Remember the things that the creator makes? The things mm. that creator makes, they were like, no, that's bad. But now watermelon God makes. But some top of the list, honey nut Cheerios. Said to eat honey nut Cheerios. Well, that's the biggest bunch of horse crap I've ever heard in my life. That's the last yeah. thing you or your child needs. Because eat some honey nut Cheerios. In about 30 minutes, you'll be shaky, hungry, and you'll have to eat again. And your kid will be acting a fool. Your kid will be acting a fool. So, but again, it's, that's the education that was put out by somebody that's now in front of us. Now the health community has come in and said, please, 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 y'all, this is a joke, right? Like that was the first thing that people in the health space said was, this is, this is a joke, right? And then, and I don't even know if anyone at Tufts University who published this has come out to defend it. And I don't know what their rankings were, but it was, this is what one of my guests said recently, Brian Sanders of Food Lies is uh, his uh, film that he's, or Netflix series he has coming out. He goes, whatever you're told to do, do the opposite. <laughs> and I was like, all right, that's my bumper sticker. Yeah, there whatever, you go. Whatever you're told to well, do, do the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're, uh, you're on to something and we have to get the messaging out that a pill is not going to be our answer. Well, my um, friend, fits. Dr. Amy Beard always says, and she's so functional medicine is the type of medicine that I prefer because it finds mm-hmm. out why we're sick. Right. Mm-hmm. And she says people in the functional medicine philosophy don't subscribe to the pill for every ill. Yeah. So if you yeah. go to them, they don't have a prescription pad going. All right. Tell me what you got. I'll find something mm-hmm. to counteract it. They mm-hmm. sit and go, because you know what? Trauma also as we know, because of high ACE scores, triggers a lot of autoimmune conditions and adverse childhood experiences score. Um, But again, it goes back to, oh, you have depression? Let's let's go back. I mean, it's difficult, but let's go back. Or you have, Lisa, you have all these autoimmune conditions. Did something happen where your child, Mm -hmm. you go, you got Mm -hmm. an hour? Yeah, I -hmm. I kind of have a laundry Mm -hmm. list of things. Exactly. But on the flip side of that, I have reversed my six conditions. I have six autoimmune conditions. I think I've reversed them all except for vitiligo, but I'm working on that now. Wow. Congratulations on that. Now, I still have to take thyroid medicine because there's damage to the gland in an autoimmune condition. It attacks itself, whatever you is you know it's autoimmune mm-hmm. it's attacking itself mm-hmm. so my thyroid has attacked itself for so many years so the gland is just about dead but i reverse just about reverse the autoimmune process because of wonderful sunlight and sleep and i'm not patting myself on the back i'm saying i have dragged my feet through mud and a lot mm-hmm. of things i had a lot of um hurt toes that felt like shattered femurs for many years doing it but um yeah it's just i'm saying it's it's kind of going back to the basics totally totally we like that it's it's simpler well i guess that's it people think what what are you going to give me oh we we Mm -hmm. have trained people we have commercials all the time that say ask your doctor if blank is right for you Well, mm-hmm. and there's nobody from the sunshine committee, sunlight committee saying, <laughs> go outside because that's right. what's right for you. Right. In fact, the other thing they told us to put sunscreen on, which then blocked those wonderful sun's rays. And we had a skin cancer epidemic for the last 30 years. We didn't have the first part of the 20th century, but we did once sunscreen came out. 
Wow. Think about it. I mean, you yeah. start doing the math. It's yeah. a follow the money yeah. thing, you know. There is a follow the money thing. And I think it, I think you're right. I would add big pharma, big, big food and big insurance to that. Too. Right. Mm-hmm. And now, that's right. That's what's it. I hate that people will say, well, I can't do this because my insurance doesn't cover it. Well, I say that all the time because I have, I had carpal tunnel surgery last year and the girl, I was having massage therapy to try to help soothe it but it was so far gone but my thing was i don't want surgery my insurance company was like oh we'll pay for the surgery and i said well would you pay for the massage therapy therapeutic massage therapy oh no no Mm -mm. that that's on Mm -mm. you and so Mm -mm. do you see Mm -hmm. the paradigm that we've set up oh yeah oh yeah for sure for sure but we're going to keep pushing back on the effects of that stuff and promoting health and um yeah that's what we have to that's what we do yeah okay kk you see why uh people listening i have known kk since 1981 the earth cooled at about that time (laughs) and eighty-one, or maybe 82 82 82. because i came a year after you that's right yeah um i met kk so 40 years now and she's always been the smartest person we knew we thought she was going to go to med school but she no, did no, no, no. She did better mm. than that. She is well. She played too hard in college. <laughs> Speaking of to go to med school, was not that disciplined. I was one of those that had to learn a whole lot through oh those college gosh. years. Then you got your master's though, and you did go. you get your PhD? Did you work on it? Oh no, 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 no. You're done. No, I'll, I'm done. I'm done. My kids can finish up that stuff. Because Kelsey is right. Kelsey is yes. Yeah. Kelsey is. Um, in process of um, actually finishing her master's in therapy and finishing her dissertation um, in her PhD. Could you do it concurrently now? It's a different field. She's, she's finishing up an older dissertation, PhD and going to be actually starting her internship in September. So I'm thrilled with thrilled for her. Overachiever. Man. I know. I know. She's making us all. Look, well, look she's part so of your good. DNA. So I knew that would work yeah. out. Okay. Well, yeah. you see, I mean, people listening, you see why KK is one of our favorite guests and why oh, Darren said. I love, love being here. Love, love being here. Well, uh, when you write your book, you have to come back on. And someday we always say we need to do a podcast together and do the week because you yes. have a lot to share. Well, you're great, and um, I appreciate everything you're doing out there, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Okay, good job. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.